if they speak from the heart about their concerns and they tell them, I'm going to help you, we're going to get through this together, it's a beautiful way to set the stage and the foundation for any conversation. Hey, welcome to The Chill Factory, where we make work, school, relationships, and life less stressful with expert interviews, rapid relaxers, and excellent resources. I'm Jordan Friedman. When it comes to reducing stress and worry and resolving problems, there's a vastly underused tool that pretty much all of us have at our fingertips and our lips. When used properly, it can make a huge dent in one's stress level, sometimes acting like a magic wand that makes tensions and concerns vanish. Some say it's among the most effective and powerful stress prevention strategies because it can fortify mental health, salvage relationships, and save lives. You've probably guessed from the title of this episode that this not-so-secret weapon of stress reduction is communication. But if it's so potentially effective, why don't we employ communication more often to prevent and reduce our stress? A couple big reasons are that it can be really tough to come up with the right words to use in challenging situations and really uncomfortable to use them when we do know what to say. A common thread of conversations we've had here on The Chill Factory has been communicating effectively to reduce the stress of specific situations and life in general for ourselves and others. Since we hadn't yet made communication itself the topic of a show, we pulled some clips from past episodes where my guests provided wise ways to approach communications and actual words to use in different stressful situations. We start with communicating with others and wind up at communicating with ourselves. First up is Amanda Baden, a clinical psychologist in New York City who way back in episode two called You Voted for Who, helped us navigate differing opinions on politics, social issues, and more that some of us have with relatives, colleagues, and even friends. One of the things that I think is most important to think about any conflict you have with someone you care about is you have to decide, do you want this relationship to continue? Do you feel like there's a way to navigate this so that you can continue to have closeness, still respect each other, all of those things. Because the answer to that question could kind of determine what strategy you take. One of the things I think is most helpful though, Jordan, is that we have choices. We don't, it's not like we don't have any way we can respond to this. We can always choose to ignore what's been said that bothers us. We could also choose to confront it very directly. And we can choose to have do something like asking someone who you think would be an ally for you to help support you in your process. So I'll say my first tips are to approach with empathy. Empathy is so important, and it also helps us to understand what the other person is experiencing. Because if we approach with judgment, then it means we're not going to hear each other. And so it's going to be kind of a pointless exercise. Can you give an example of what that might look like practically approaching the situation or the response with empathy? So some people, when they're listening, they're only thinking about where they can make their argument and where they can find a hole in the other person's argument. They're not listening to just try and make sure they understand what the other person is saying. For example, 
if someone is talking about how they really don't agree with some mandates that are going on, or they think that one political party is not behaving the way they should, an empathetic response could be something like, wow, it sounds like it's been really hard for you to hear all this. And I'm wondering how you perceive other people feeling about it. Another way to show your understanding is, so Uncle Pete, tell me what you mean by that, because I'm, I'm trying to understand what's bothering you about it. As you can see, like this style can breed more calm exchanges, more respectful listening, instead of volatile chaos where we're trying to prove we're right. You know, some of these conflicts happen because people don't like to admit they're wrong. In episode 14, Worried About My Younger Kid, Scott Bloom, a licensed clinical social worker who works a lot with younger kids and adolescents and their parents, helped us with ways to approach what sometimes feels impossible, talking with kids about sensitive issues. How do you approach your child? What are the things you can say? How do you start a conversation about your concerns or about mental health in general? I love before when you said, where's your head at today? I thought that was a great way to uh, bring up this issue. But are there other things you can say, other tactics? Because yes, it's true. A lot of kids don't really want to talk about this or are only going to give you one word or two word answers, if that. You know, I'm a parent myself and I've had those conversations and they can be challenging. But one thing that I know for sure, and you know, I I support and, and coach parents on all the time, is if they talk directly to their child about their concerns, if they speak from the heart about their concerns, and they tell them, I'm going to help you. We're going to get through this together. It's a beautiful way to set the stage and the foundation for any conversation that you have with your your children because it takes away some of that stigma. And whether the child is ready to have that conversation, maybe not now, great, we'll have it when you're ready. You've, you've laid out with them, I'm here for you, I'm gonna be uh, supportive of you, and I'm going to get you the help you need. Uh, another great strategy is maybe for the first time, you're gonna be telling the child, you know, when I was your age, let me tell you about the time where I was anxious, or I had a challenge. Uh, Talk about stress. Everybody can identify with stress. You know, that I was so stressed out, but I got help and I got over it. With younger kids, we're talking about, you know, the, the younger elementary school kids, sometimes using the analogy of a medical situation can be very helpful. They may be feeling stressed or they're, you know, down. And you say, you remember that time when you fell and you had that cut and that cut has healed? Well, I'm going to help you heal with your feelings that you're dealing with right now. Another strategy that I suggest, particularly with with adolescents, is it's not the the last time you're going to bring it up. You know, having frequent conversation, you know, touching base with your child about their experience is probably the best way, you know, to identify any new issues. You just say, hey, you know, I'm just checking in. Are you still good about what happened when we talked about? Or, you know, how's your your counseling going with the therapist? Everything going well? Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, how how an adolescent might answer. Great. 
again, what you've done is you checked in, you put it on the table, and it's always there for you to go back and discuss it. You may not need to do more than that. And I assume it's okay to name things that you observe or or say to your child, hey, I noticed that you blank or, you know, I noticed that you are coming home earlier now or you're you're not laughing as much as you usually do. Is everything okay? I know sometimes the kids get really sensitive because they think you're monitoring them too closely. But it seems like sometimes you need to put some meat on the bones of what you're bringing up. Right. You might start the conversation and say, I notice that you don't seem yourself. Or I've noticed you've been really sad lately. You haven't been around a lot. That seems to be different. Is anything going on? One of the hardest things about being a parent is to have these conversations and to have some distance so you can really allow the conversation to unfold without judgment, without opinion, because it's a very sensitive conversation for them to have. And as you mentioned before with adolescents, you know, they see themselves as the center of the universe and everybody is looking at them. So at that moment, you know, they don't want to be the center of the universe, but they do when it comes to mental health and they want you to care for them. And so it's, it, it's, a, it, it's tough, but stay in there because it's going to be worth it at the end. And during episode 11, Worried About My College Kid, we talked about perhaps the most consequential use of communication with Todd Sevig. He's the Director of Counseling and Psychological Services at the University of Michigan. Todd, I also wanted to have you on because over the past few weeks, I've seen Jamie Raskin, who's the representative from Maryland, on TV. And he's been talking about his new book, which in great part details his son's suicide while in law school just over a year ago. And they talked about his son's depression and his son was treated for depression, but they never uttered the word suicide. And I wonder if you have any thoughts or advice on when or how to bring up suicide, because it's such a sensitive and traumatic topic. Yes, yeah, I really appreciate you bringing up the question. It's uh, it's very difficult for for all of us to to talk about it, um, including us as mental health professionals. Uh, deaths by suicide are one of the most painful things in life to navigate. There are a couple different things. If it starts to feel like that, or if you have a sense that that may be going on. And I'm a big fan of this. And what I'm going to say is hard, but doable. It doesn't roll off the tongue, and it's also doable. And it's simply this, to ask directly the question, is it so bad that have you thought about suicide? Have you thought about harming yourself? Most students will answer when asked. But most students are not going to bring that up unless they're asked. And it can be scary to receive the answer, yes, I have thought about it. 
But what I have tried to promote, especially the last 10 years, and we have a specific program on campus that we've been promoting for this very reason, Jordan. Uh, so we encourage uh, friends, roommates, faculty members, uh, staff on campus uh, to, to ask the question. And I know it's scary as all get out. Believe me, I know. Uh, I know from personal experience as well as professional. Because we're afraid of the answer. But what research shows, and what I can speak as a psychologist, as a clinician from clinical experience, is that when we ask that, it, it actually creates some relief, both in the student as well as the situation, and then you will know what to do. A lot of us at one point in our life will actually think about suicide, but not act on it. You know, it, it is a warning sign. It's something that requires more discussion and, and more addressing. Uh, but that's probably the biggest thing that I can say that helps. And I've seen it help many times over the years. And I think it's also important to say that bringing up the subject of suicide using the word in no way promotes someone to harm themselves. It's a really good point. There is absolutely no evidence of that. Uh, and researchers have, have poked around with that for, for many years, and there's no evidence of that. What it does is then it opens the channel of communication. Chris Sorensen is a clinical social worker and mediator who helps people in conflict get to resolutions of those conflicts through negotiation, shifts in thinking, and other strategies. Chris works mostly with couples going through divorce, but as you'll hear, his guidance during episode 37 applies to all of us in all kinds of situations. Just a little while ago, you used the term mediation mindset, and A, I think I may call this episode mediation mindset, but B, it feels like that is an answer to my last question, which is how would you suggest people use mediation in their lives? How can they make it an automatic stress reducer when dealing with stressful situations? It's a wonderful question and, and one that I had not thought of in that way before. I, I think it could be as simple as you pass by or you're meeting with someone with whom you're having a disagreement and your first thought, your automatic response may be, I'm frustrated with this individual. I'm angry with this individual. I don't see why he or she can't see it the same way I do. And I would say, taking that idea of mediation mindset, if you could just introduce the idea in, in your mind at that moment of, that's somebody who has a different perspective on a topic that I do. Viewing that person as a human being who has a different perspective, that alone might trigger a, a reduction in stress if you were able to take it even further. And this requires some courage and say, and I'm curious. I want to know more about that person's perspective. I certainly want that person to understand my point of view more, but I'm interested in knowing more. It shifts things from the adversarial 
winner-takes-all approach that we are raised with, particularly in, in this society to some extent. And it kind of disarms it and replaces it with an opportunity for growth, for an improved relationship, for learning. And again, no one is asking you in that moment to disavow or change your viewpoint or to agree to something that you're not prepared to agree to. It's just asking you to have a different experience of the person with whom you're in conflict. And I think you could probably answer the question, what does that do to the nervous system and you know, other, other automatic responses when we feel that we're in danger? Yeah, the brief answer is that it takes one from a state of feeling challenged uh, of having a demand upon them and converts it to, as you said, one of inquiry and empathy. This last clip is all about how to talk with ourselves, specifically to that annoying, dispiriting, and sometimes hobbling inner critic. It's from episode 30 called, Am I Really Good Enough?, with author, speaker, and creativity evangelist Denise Jacobs. What are some of the key ways or other key ways that we can quiet or banish our inner critics? The first step is realizing, again, that your inner critic is the product of years of thinking a certain way and repeating certain messages and certain beliefs to yourself and they only get strengthened by that so first of all recognize that this is a behavior like a thinking behavior pattern and you work to start trying to change the thinking to something different that is a really huge first step and to also realize that your brain can do that I think the second thing is to realize then that in doing that, putting your focus and your attention on different messages that are supportive messages, as opposed to ones that tear you down, is going to be huge. So instead of telling yourself, I'm just really not good with, you know, like I'm going to bomb this presentation, and say like, what if I do really well? What if what I'm going to go and I'm going to share as much as I can and try to relay my enthusiasm for the subject and, and we'll see what happens instead of like, it's going to be awful. You are awful at speaking to people. You can't do this. Well, but you know what? Let's let's just see. It might be different. You know, I'm going to I'm going to come in differently this time and, and see what changes. And then I think the other thing, too, is to realize that. When you are in the midst of having your inner critic be really loud and really vociferous, that it's basically almost like you're harming yourself. And so you need kind of this kind of bigger part of yourself. You need to kind of practice mindfulness and realize that you have this part of yourself that's kind of standing back and observing your thoughts and your behaviors and everything and have that part kind of step in and be kind to yourself and say, okay, 
I understand that this is really hard. I understand that, you know, you're in the midst of saying all these really horrible things to yourself. And I'm sorry, this is really, this is really hard. How about if we do something else? And that is actually practicing self-compassion. And self-compassion is a really, really powerful tool. It's very transformative. And, you know, just the, the, the power of, like, stopping and recognizing, choosing other thoughts and being self-compassionate can go a huge way towards silencing the inner critic. Instead of being super self-critical and being like, I can't believe you did this and can't believe you did that, how would you speak to a child? How would you speak to a child who was being bullied, who was feeling attacked, was feeling like nobody loved them? How would you talk to that child and realize that when your inner critics are really active, that's essentially what's happening, right? That you're going back, that these, these people are actually going back and talking to this young part of yourself that has no way to defend themselves. So to go back and to come to your own defense and to be kind of a champion for that younger part of yourself that doesn't know how to defend itself against these critical voices. And big thanks to all of my guests who make it possible for The Chill Factory to pump out so many ways to make work, school, relationships, and life less stressful. I wanted to quickly tell you about Chill and Serve, which is an initiative of The Stress Coach, which is my company and producer of The Chill Factory podcast. Chill and Serve provides some of our stress relief resources for free to organizations and groups that help people in really stressful circumstances. For example, we provide our Quick Calm online workshop to Ukrainians affected by the war there, as well as to mental health specialists who are supporting them. Quick Calm has been translated into Ukrainian as part of our Chill and Serve effort. We've given free subscriptions to our app, The Chill Factory, to an organization in Kentucky that runs support groups for people with mental illness, and have done the same for an organization in Canada that works with people addicted to painkillers and other drugs. I tell you all this because we're always looking for more places where we can share these resources. So if you know of any groups or organizations that support people in really stressful situations, let them know about Chill and Serve and give them our email, which is info at thestresscoach.com. And hopefully we can share these free stress reducers with them as well. It's quitting time for this episode of The Chill Factory. I'm Jordan Friedman. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to follow The Chill Factory wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when new episodes are available. And there's always more at thechillfactory.net. And as Greek philosopher Epictetus said, we have two ears and one mouth so that we can listen twice as much as we speak.